The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're in Lisbon, Portugal, to sample custard tarts, cherry liqueur, and soulful fado music. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California. Welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Oh, yeah, there it is. No, that was perfect, Sam. A back from vacation pour. Oh, uh, happy new year. Happy new year. This is the first show of uh, 2020. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 2020. This is 2020. (laughs) That was was hilarious. (laughs) We're we're recording on the same day that uh, all of the wine industry professionals in America are testifying before Congress about tariffs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. I've seen a lot on Instagram um, lately. Yeah. 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 100% tariffs on all European wine. I think it's a great idea. No, actually, <laughs> I, I wrote a letter against Our, it. Yeah, I think, I think we I mean, all have, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense at all. I mean, I'm not sure how doubling the cost of any particular wine in Europe equals any benefit at all to the wine industry, generally, and specifically California wines. So... Well, my only comment, I think the last time it was brought up that I thought it was good for you guys because you're selling wine here. So I Correct. thought if people had to pay more for French wine, then then maybe they would just, you know, buy I, your wine I, instead. I, and, but, but you were much more no, I, I, yeah, globally I thought conscious and said that it's not good for everyone. Well, no, and I, I, it's also, it's not good for the consumer. It's not good for, obviously, you know, all these small farmers and producers all over Europe. But from a stand, the standpoint of, you know, small, I, you know, I don't have much distribution, small winery in, in, in California. Um, I think in general, anything that is bad for the wine business is bad for the wine business. We're in the wine business. You know, our stores that buy our wine, restaurants that buy our wine, you know, our, our main distributor partner, our really only distributor partner in New York that sells a lot of European wine, if they have less money and less buying power and are, you know, their business is affected, that affects what they're going to do with their California producers. Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, you know, and that's, you know, from a business standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, making it uh, less... Um, you know, less likely for people to go out there and try new wines and and become wine fans because all of a sudden there's no French wine or the French wine that they could have gotten and you know opened uh, you know this world to them just doubled in price. Uh, yeah, um, or, or even bad if, for all of us. Yeah, or even if they're wine, Sorry. even if right, they're so wine backs fans. Off. We have a guest in the room today. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> so we've got Donald Pats who. Um, has got a long history in the wine industry. Um, let, let's just, let, we'll get it all out. Born in Fargo, North Dakota, moved to Minnesota, moved to Oregon, lived in Eugene, sold wine, moved to California, specifically Santa Rosa, only because it had the same amount of people as Eugene, Oregon. Came here, 
Brian worked really it, worked it, uh, <laughs> worked Donald, it, you should be sorry, nervous. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> right? Worked at Flora Springs. What do you know about us, Brian? Uh, <laughs> met, met James, um, Patson Hall Winery. James uh, Hall. Uh, everyone around here um, that lives around in this area and probably around the United States knows Patson Hall. So made world-class Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Sold in 2016 and then started a new project. There we go. Then, right. then, then it's Thanks all out there, and we can start with with Maritana, with Terminum, and uh, with Secret Door. Well, I was I could have brought all of them, but I thought we wanted to focus on the Terminum. But the Terminum is actually the third project that I did because when you sell one, you're supposed to start a number of things afterwards, like Splinter. It's like it's it's. I think it's in the Geneva Convention. Okay. Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> Are those still? Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. What was what was the first project coming out of? And and we should say that um, the people at Patson Hall or the people that purchased Patson Hall, um, rather than have you stay on for an extended period of time, you. Um, kind of bowed out, and they allowed you to get out of a non-compete, and so That's you right. were immediately no, they were really, allowed to. They were really, they really stood there, stood up, and and were men about it. It was great, and I worked for a full year. With, it was San Michel Wine Estates. <clears throat> worked for a full year with them, and uh, did it as best I job as I could of translating, you know, some of the culture of what we were doing at Patson Hall to their team. At the end of that. I think they were baffled as to exactly what they wanted to do with me. I, I mean, I had a great conversation with my, with supposedly my boss who called me like every other month during that period of time. <laughs> and uh, so we had this great sit down meeting and I said, it's clear that you don't have a plan, real clear plan for how, what you want to do. And that's okay by me, but I, and I'm perfectly happy to go if you will release me from my non-compete because I had about two more years of non-compete in place. And they agreed to that. So I hit the ground running in 2017 with the idea of starting um, really two new wine projects. One that was near and dear to me because I love the Russian River and I was particularly interested in Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, obviously. But I wanted it to be different from what we'd done at Patson Hall. The other one was a promise I had made to my wife, who at the time she was my girlfriend and living in Virginia, told me gee, you know, I don't think I need to move to California to be with you because I really don't like Pinot Noir that much anyway. I'd rather drink Bordeaux and California Cabernet. So I said, fine. If you move to California to be with me, I will make Cabernet Sauvignon for you. So the secret door is is for my wife. You you must really love her because that's a substantial investment. <laughs> yes, it is. Not not just emotionally. It seems I'm, like, I'm you know, a nice condo in Virginia would have been a way easier thing to get <laughs> It's a ridiculous one, but it's really fun to do all of these different wines and um, and I make them at different places because I really want separation of thought and a different team working with so wait a minute wait a minute so you make them at separate places yes wow that's interesting terminum and secret door made at the same place okay. nb winery in calistoga and then um the maritana chardin pinot project is at grand crew in windsor oh yeah right the new i place. really like that place it's yeah. been great well, we should say if, if, if you're listening out there and you don't know what a non-compete or what that whole situation is, most times when you're purchased, um, I th what, who can talk about this? Mary Edwards, Helen Turley, things like that. When, when you're purchased that 
they will let you go, but say, let's say you're known for making Zinfandel. They say, yes, okay, um, move on with your life, um, but you are not allowed to make Zinfandel for X amount of years or something, right? Stuff like that. So, in my case, it was everything. I could not be in the, I could not make wine anywhere in the world of any type. Whoa. Yeah. And I wasn't really thinking that far ahead. So, I mean, it occurred to me, but I had some, it was, it was more subtle than that, but basically that's what they were saying. And so being released from that was, was fantastic. Um, and I don't really think of, see, it's Saint Michel, and I, I really, like I said, I had a great time working with these guys. When they're in Washington State, they have an enormous chunk of the business in Washington State. And so they see other wineries in Washington State as helping to build the image of Washington State. So not really in the same way that, for example, Gallo would consider another California winery as perhaps a competitor of some sort at some price point. Saint Michel really saw all of these other little wineries in Washington State as as helping to create an image of Washington State wines that was really positive that that would benefit them too. Hmm. So I think that that's kind of the way they thought of it when I asked for my release. Interesting. I mean, that and and they, they they are a big company, really big. Yeah, and they're, they're owned by a bigger, bigger company. Yeah, Altria. And, yeah, and so it's it's a totally different mindset, and so. For them to purchase you guys, it must have been like a gem, right? Like this was going to be one of their California gems? It's exactly. They called yeah. it the String of Pearls. Wow. String so of you pearls. are really on the right track yeah. there. Yeah. They call it the String of Pearls. And they have a number of different brands that fall into that group for them. But Patson Hall was one of the ones they wanted, yeah. And could you just briefly talk about how big Patson Hall started and when you, when you left, oh, we, how big it was? We started with... We started with more than we thought. We originally had a budget for about 200 cases and ended up making about 400, a little over 400 cases in Surprise. 1988 of Chardonnay. <laughs> sounds like, <laughs> so, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, remember what I said at the beginning, we had a budget for 200. Right, and made, right, yeah. yeah. So suddenly we're like, oh, geez, how do we bottle all this stuff? We don't have a budget for it. So anyway, it's a long story. It's an amusing part of the Pats and Hall lore. But um, so that's what we started at. And then within a couple of years, we were around a thousand cases. Um, And when when I left, um, my recollection was it was around twenty five thousand case total production. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and why not um, Hall and Pat's? Was that ever a conversation? Well, it doesn't flow very well. It was. It doesn't sound like it now. But but that's just because we know it as we know it. Exactly right. You've heard it like a billion times. Yeah. So it was drive by it every single actually James day. Hall <laughs> suggested the order. He said, let's put the more difficult name first and the easier name to say at the end. Um, and I immediately agreed with him is a brilliant idea. <laughs> right. I thought. And so, yeah, there was little argument about that. So it would be Katuri and Hanson. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, would take a billion more times to hear than <laughs> yeah. Patson Hall to have any kind of flow. <laughs> yeah. I think we should maybe, maybe toy around between Bart and Sam and Sam and Bart just for the sake of <laughs> Well, we're so, we're going through that uh, we're going through that at the restaurant too now. Much. I mean, this is a really serious business. No, this oh, we um we take this podcast really seriously. Yes. And so we have find a, that a, out a, over the next half Which an hour. is why we have 100,000 downloads. All of, in fact, I think Brian did more background research to say those, that paragraph that he said at the beginning than I maybe ever have for an episode of. Let, let's just say um, I, I sell Pats and Hall at, at the hotel. Okay. Very popular We're brand. We're going to change that. 
We're, <laughs> which, which, by the way, is changing. It's you know we are changing from Sante to now it's official. Bottle. Can we say it on. We were about to say it. Bottle and butcher. News break here. Scoop. Right. Winemakers uh, wine podcast gets this before anybody uh, else in the media. Yeah. I don't think it's out there in the media at all. I don't even think Kathleen Hill has it. Who normally is, is the, the is the scooper, the literal scooper of Sonoma. Um, and, and I, and I thought, wait a minute, you mean butcher and bottle? And they're like, no, 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 bottle and butcher. And I said, oh, that's fine for me. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm selling wine. Sell wine first, steak second. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so Donna, what I want to ask is, is <clears throat> you went from having a winemaker to becoming the winemaker, right? For your, for the Maritana project. It's absolutely true. James Hall was the winemaker. We all started doing everything together, but James was the guy we at very quickly got to a point where we couldn't all go everywhere together and hang out all the time. So we split things up and James had been the winemaker at Honig Cellars and assistant winemaker at Flora Springs. So it made sense that since he was at Honig where we were making Patson Hall every day anyway, um, as the winemaker there, the, uh, that he would do that and that the rest of us would all kind of split away and do whatever it is that seemed like would be best for the company. Well, you had a background in sales, so that made sense. I right? did, and I had been the sales dude for Flora Springs and then Gerard Winery before Patson Hall really took off. Um, but I also have a degree in biology, so I kind of know what is going on. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, those first years, you were all doing everything. Yeah, well, after 30 and, years, you know, right. osmosis alone, you right. pick up some stuff. But right. I really had, I mean, we had these amazingly long conversations at Patson Hall about what we were doing, how we were doing it. And there was a lot of, I believe there was a lot of partner in, input in the process as well. So yeah. James was the guy on the hook for it, but we all had our opinions about what we his name was second. So it was still, you know, <laughs> my name is still on the back label for Patson Hall. I was just, I just saw a bottle of it on a shelf retail shelf recently and flipped it around just to make sure still so, says Donald Pat's there. <laughs> So could you talk about this this first term term terminum wine? Terminum. Yeah. Um I know it's from Alder Springs Vineyard, which I believe is the Laytonville, California. Yeah, the farthest farthest north Mendocino vineyard and probably the highest altitude, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any anything in Mendocino further north. There are of course there are some vineyards in uh, um what's the next county north? I'm blanking on it. It's uh Del Norte? No. And it doesn't matter. Humboldt Humboldt, Humboldt, Humboldt. Humboldt. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I believe there's a couple of vineyards, maybe more than a couple of vineyards in Humboldt. Yeah. But anyway, yes, and it's at elevation. Starts at about, uh, it starts at about two, a little over a thousand feet and goes up to almost three thousand feet. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a spectacular site. Um, and we bought Chardonnay and Pinot for Patson Hall there for nineteen harvests in a row. Well, and so um, you somebody we were asking earlier, talking a little bit earlier about. You know, how did I end up meeting Francois Villard, the guy who is my my partner in this? Um, I love this wife. <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. But when we went, but when I when when I suspected we might be working together, I called up my friend Stu Buley, who owns Alder Springs, and said, "Stu, hey, I got this idea, and I'm, I'm thinking about doing a small Syrah, maybe Viognier project." Um, would you have, this is 2017, would you have any grapes available? And he said, no, Donald, I've got it all. I'm, gonna, I'm telling everybody this story forever. <clears throat> no, Donald, they're all sold. Uh, in fact, I've got you know a waiting list for both of those grape varieties. 
And I thought, well, that's kind of disappointing. So anyway, we, you know, had pleasantries and I called off the conversation. But I knew that Francois was coming in August. So at the beginning of August, I called Stu back and I said, Stu, I know you don't have any grapes available, but I'm thinking about doing this project with um, Francois Villard. And I'd like to bring him up just so he can see the vineyard. So at some point in the future, when you have grapes available, maybe we could buy some from you. And I hear this long pause and some choking noises on the other end of the phone. Francois Villard? I have grapes for Francois Villard. (laughs) Holy smoke, 19 years in a row I paid my bills on time and I get no love on this? Anyway. Like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna work that story forever. Absolutely, especially grape negotiation times. <laughs> so, Remember who brought you, Francois Villard? Yeah. So you want to know how did how do we end up doing this together? So yeah, I yeah, wanted wait, to. How did you guys wait? Did I miss it? How did you so guys actually you meet? Be, about to tell you. Okay, should, yeah. and should we like throw in a little like intro on Francois Villard for everybody else uh, who? That's a good like, spot for you. <clears throat> <laughs> I didn't do any research. I can tell you, Brian, you're the song. I mean, he's he's known for making world class Syrah and Viognier and and Marsan and Roussan and Northern Rhone winemaker. And yeah. we run into him, you know, whenever we're doing Rhone events. And he's a fun guy. Um, I think that's what I appreciate more than anything else. I mean, I know he makes good wine, but um, um, you know, and that's originally what intrigued me um, about having Donald on the podcast was when when I saw the blast about um, making a wine with Francois. I thought, and, and that's exactly what I thought is how the hell did these two guys get together? Because you've got a guy who's known for making Chardonnay, Pinot, different worlds, and then a, a guy from from Northern Rhone. So how does that happen? Like, well, I wanted to. I, I'm like picturing a room where these guys are introduced to each other, and wondering how the hell does this happen? Well, we we have a mutual friend. That's basically the the essence of it. But I'd met Francois a number of times along the way. We I saw him at the Nantucket um, Wine Festival event about I don't know six or seven years ago. Um, funny thing is that I actually have pictures of us together at different wine events. That I had never occurred to me that we'd actually work together. I just you know you, liked this. You were wine. building the marketing. Yeah, this like, whole th- dude. Let's take a picture. Selfie time, kind of thing, and. Uh, and then um, I have a picture of my wife and I down in New Orleans at a restaurant there, and the the wine on the table is Francois Villard what, wine. What restaurant in New Orleans? Oh man, now you're gonna ask me on questions. On the spot, I'm old. All right, fair enough. <clears throat> uh, one of the famous ones, or one of the semi-famous. Okay. It wasn't like Commander's okay. Palace or something like that. Anyway, so I had. By the beginning of June of 2017, I already had a place to make Maritana, the Russian River Valley stuff. I had a place to make Secret Door. had vineyards in place to do both of those wines in 2017. And Jack Edwards, who is the importer for Francois Villard's wines, um, as well as a number of other really cool wines. Yep. uh, I knew he was at the Aspen Food and Wine, and I didn't really know much about what where that was at that moment in time. So I called Jack up at the beginning of June or whatever it is, middle of June, whenever that is in Aspen. And I said, so how's it going? Are you meeting a lot of people? What's, you know, what's up? And uh, he's, we had a short conversation about that. He seemed to think it was okay, but maybe for a little new brand, probably not that useful. But he says sort of as a throwaway at the end, he, he says, 
By the way, I'm sitting here at the bar with Francois Villard, and he's talking about doing another California project. If you're <laughs> interested, maybe the two of you would want to do that together. Funny thing is, Jack actually has the opposite memory of this. He <laughs> thinks I asked him if Francois wanted to do something. And believe me, three wine projects was not on my mind at that right. moment. And I said, really, I don't know Francois that well. I know who he is, and I've met him a couple times. But So I'll tell you what, if he comes out to California, we'll hang out and see if we like each other enough to, to actually do something. And in August of 2017, he came out. We spent about five days together at the house, eating and drinking too much, mostly Rhone varieties from here, there, and everywhere. Is he still living at the house? No, we <laughs> it took a long time. We finally evicted him. <laughs> It was uh, kind of an embarrassing thing in the neighborhood, but no, he's, he's a fun, he is, you hit it right on that. He's a funny guy. He's, yeah. he's got a great sense of humor. He's got a really, he's serious about the winemaking. He's got a lot of great ideas about how we can make it better, but, um, but he's not, you know, he's not that austere kind of angry, um, French guy. No, that's why it's the Rones. Right yeah. from from the northern run to the southern run, those people they are don't, fun. They have their it's way more fun. I mean, we've you know some there's fun people in other parts of winemakers in other regions, but kind of top to bottom, who do you run into from the Rhone Valley that isn't cool to hang out with? Why well, anybody? Yeah. I mean, well, no, you're right, and you know it is culturally it's a little different down there, right? right. You know, is it are they are they are there well, more hippies the, down there? Well, no, it's, it's it is, not it Burgundy. Yeah, the, it's not Bordeaux. They're right. not wearing suits. The, right. uh, they're not their cellars white. aren't swept every I 20 minutes. I have never <laughs> seen Francois in a suit. No. Ever, including no, right. doing dinners and stuff. But, I mean, yeah. in Bordeaux, the winemakers wear suits. In Burgundy, the winemakers wear, wear white lab coats. Um, right. You know, <laughs> in the Rhone, they wear jeans. and. I think, it, you know, other than a few places in the northern Rhone, there isn't the same sort of global history of you know it's, it's they're newer to all of this than in in a way um, than you know bordeaux burgundy have had this you know long history of of you know that and that reputation that comes with it there's a little more just a little more relaxed they didn't have to they didn't have to tie all those ties for all those years right before yeah. they you know before they were on international prominence in the right. way they are now right which is more similar to why all the Sonoma guys and the you know the Rhone guys I think have that kind of something that that thing going on that we have going on right yeah I mean when you're working on the Napa Valley project do you dress differently Donald I'd never thought of it no I usually I, wash my car you know, know before I go into no, Napa I don't. right and, you know it's funny because yeah. we're sitting on the side that cares about this issue you're over in Napa no one ever talks about when you go over to Sonoma, do you dress differently? No one would ever ask me that over there. <laughs> right. Um, right. They go like, Sonoma, I heard they make wine too. Yeah. Is that right? Right. Is that west of here? Where? Yeah, we're the ones with the complex. Try the uh, right. That's wrong. So yeah, what, the first wine that we were tasting was the 2018. Was that right? Of the Terminum? It's 2018 Terminum. Yeah. And having a background in sales i knew the the last thing anybody would want to hear when i maybe you're different as a song but most places the last thing people want to hear when you walk in is hey i've got this brand new marson russon blend so <laughs> i figured i better come up with a, a different name whether it's sexy or not is in the eye of the beholder but i call it sapage d'or which basically means golden grapes 
And uh, it began in 2017 as a two-thirds Marsan, one-third Roussan. And we were tasting the wine in um, early 2018 with Stu Bewley. And I said to Francois, you know, Stu's also got a couple of other grape varieties there. Maybe we should see if he'll kick in a little bit of Pic Pool Blanc and Viognier that we can use as potential blenders. And so in 2018, we, we got a tiny bit of both, like less than a half ton of each of those. Um, all of them were fermented separately. Francois and I sat down and did a massive amount of tasting and decided in our brilliance that if we just blend it all together, it tastes the best. So right. <laughs> also it was probably a smarter move in terms of finances to not have leftover bits and pieces. Right. So 2019, did was it a co-ferment or did you still no, pick these and are, ferment separately? A couple of them came in se- together, but we didn't co-ferment. Um, I kind of like the chance, and we really, we're still, this is only our third vintage doing this. Right. I think there's still a lot that we can learn about keeping the different grape varieties separate to begin with. Uh, and and certainly it's helpful because for some reason or another, Marsan doesn't want to ferment. It's, so it is hmm. lingering into, well, this year into January. <laughs> there's still a little residual sugar in the Marsan we're trying and, and to squeeze out. And can you talk a little bit about your winemaking, you know, guidelines um as far as you know do you, you do you go uninoculated do you what do you ferment in etc cetera, etc cetera. so with terminum and this is different from maritana and from secret door with terminum i really just want i wanted to i knew that california grapes were going to make california wine so that wasn't a big surprise i really wanted to see if we could implement um a similar style of winemaking to what francois does in in france um, and see how that would translate into a, into the finished wine. So Francois wanted um, no inoculations. He wanted you know minimal inputs. Uh, he wanted to pick the grapes a little less ripe than probably some of my brethren would normally do, which harmonized exactly with what my thoughts were. I wanted this Sapage d'Or to really be a refreshing white wine, not. And we've all had them, the Marsan, and they're ex- exotic and really thick and oily, almost like taking a shot of olive oil or something like that. They're just so mouth coating. Yeah. But they're not. To me, that's not refreshing. And right. so we were picking these grapes much lower sh- sugars than, for example, I would do with um, Chardonnay. So we're picking it around, you know, twenty point five bricks on Marsan and yeah, Roussan th- and Pique Pool Blanc and yeah, you were around twenty one and twenty three or something. I think was the highest I had seen on <clears throat> on any of the uh, some of them sneak past us. You know, we're we're trying to dial it in through Stu because we can't stand. It's a two and a half hour drive from here, right? So yeah. you, you can't be up there every couple of days checking the grapes. And Stu's a great guy to work with because he's willing to do that for you. He's willing to check the grapes, you know, virtually every day if you want them to. Um, so it's been, you know, it's worked out really well. But ideally, you know, under 14% alcohol, not because 14% alcohol is this magic number or something like that, but because of what it translates back or back to into uh, ref- that refreshing character. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have been following my Instagram, the le- uh, and I actually didn't post one Roussan the other day it was um oh you're like diving deep on Roussan right now yeah because right? i want to know when to bottle so i'm um yesterday probably yeah um <laughs> <laughs> well i'm in the same position i think you are i've still got a little bit of residual sugar going on so um it's just a slow slow um 
process. But, um, you know, I had a couple of Roussans here locally and was like, oh, these are interesting. These are interesting. And then I had Albin, uh, John Albin. It was, and it was a 2014, so it was a little bit of a different thing. But it was, like you were saying, more of that closer to an olive oil than a, than a refreshing wine. Um, and I don't, I can drink a half a glass or a glass of that and find it enjoyable, especially with food. But I want to drink three glasses of something. So I want to drink something like this where I'm, I'm happy to have three glasses of this. And, and so were you, when you brought in the Viognier and the Picpoul Blanc, was that trying to bring some more refreshing to it? Cause the Marsan Roussan together were a little stylistically heavier or more as we think about it. I think it was as much for fun as anything else. Okay. I mean, this yeah. is a small project, right? Sure. Neither one of us are going to get rich making Terminum. Right. Um, but I mean, I guess I'm wondering, I mean, Pitbull yeah, Blanc, of course, it seems Pitbull like it Blanc some... is notorious for having super high acid. Right. It yeah. literally means lip stinger. That's the translation <laughs> is lip stinger. Yeah. Really? Pickpool? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Loose translation would be lip stinger. I mean, I love Pitbull. Yeah. I love 100% Pitbull. I love Pitbull that you put in a barrel and throw into a, into a shark tank and submerge down in an oyster farm. I love any kind of pig pool I can get my hands on. Wow, I like the, the <laughs> sort interesting. of you never, you never had a, Julie Bonneau does a does a pig pool that she puts in a barrel, sticks in a shark tank, and submerges it down in an Why oyster a farm. shark tank? Uh, I, oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, so to kind the of lower cage, it, the to, shark cage. Uh, uh, exactly right. Yeah. Not she with a shark. Right. She wasn't like <laughs> to give the wine a sense sharks. of danger, Donald. <laughs> right, give it that electricity. <laughs> right, comes with. Adrenaline of you know brushed yeah, by by a I'm great white it. shark. I'm really yeah. digging. No, I like that when I'm salivating. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think Pigpool adds definitely adds some acidity, and then Viognier some some aromatics, of course. Some you know the interesting thing about it, at least in 2018 and 2019, the Viognier has not been that super exotic, you know, Condrieu kind of style at all. It's been much more um, refined and delicate, so it does add a little bit, but it's not. It's not dominating by any means. No. I think the yeah. Viognier just brought brought a nice little bit of that uh, stone fruit to the Marsan Roussan mm-hmm. party. There kept it kept it in a really yeah. nice place. And I, you know, and I think about Brian, you know, an Alban, which is you know Paso right. Central Coast. From there to to Alder Springs, you know, like you're going from Marseille to, you know, Oh, I thought Hermitage. you were going to say Mars to Jupiter. Probably more like <laughs> Champagne. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, more, more like the Mars Mars River. As far as, yeah. and that's what I'm thinking, tasting this, the Syrah, the Terminum Syrah, um, it's hard to have found a place more suited for a Northern Rhone style Syrah and, and white, than than Alder Springs. I mean, to get the amount of hang time at all that you're going to get at Alder Springs to get to a thirteen and a half or fourteen percent alcohol, compared to the hang time you're going to have if you want to shoot for a similar sort of you know built wine, and even in Sonoma, let alone Paso. Um, right. Yeah, it's a it's a it's this the Serratis. I mean, I can't wait. Next time I go get another glass to taste. The terminum along with the the Gale Blanc, um, just because I think that there's going to be a lot of similarities. So we should probably say exactly what you're referring to. That we're we're currently tasting the terminum Syrah from Alder Springs 2017. I brought in addition a bottle of Francois Villard's uh, Cote Roti that he calls Gale Blanc, right. and uh, the this White is, Rocks. Yeah, actually, it's the two the two names of the gentleman that first sold him. Really? Yeah. 
It's not. It's <laughs> Monsieur <laughs> Gallet and Monsieur Blanc. Yeah. That's where the name right. came from. I know. I well, thought so, so too. Mr. White and Mr. Rock is yeah. who they bought the grapes from. Right. Yeah. Mr. Stone. Mr. And did Stone. you have to build a Mr. fence Bold, around the Syrah to stop Francois from wanting to dump some Viognier into the... Not at all. In fact, as he replants in the Cote Roti, he replants with 100% Syrah. Interesting. Okay. He has some vineyards that he's purchased or, and works with that have Viognier interplanted, but and he continues to use that, but... His newer plantings are all 100%. Huh. And now, so now are you guys in a partnership long term at this point? I think so. I mean, you know, it's... I mean, is there a piece of paper or is this a handshake deal? It's a handshake deal right okay. now. Because uh, no, You've not promised your new grandchild to him not or anything? Not at all. By the way, I do have a new grandchild. <laughs> Sebastian Pats. Yeah. The first of the new generation of Pats is pretty Sebastian exciting. Pats. Sebastian yeah. Good name. Yep. Sebastian Reinhardt Jordan Pats. Damn. Wow. That's a, right. that's a heavy load to carry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a wine label. It's a future winemaker yeah, for sure. He can use Pats on the wine He's label. Have to just be <laughs> You're still enjoying from putting that on the front. So. <laughs> All right. So you guys have moved on to the Syrah. I yeah, I did. And I want to talk a little bit about this 2017 Syrah yeah. before we go on to the Galibon. Um, this is really interesting. Francois was freaking out over all the different older, um, Alder Springs Syrahs that I dug out from all the guys who've been making There's them up there. There's a lot of people who make wine from that vineyard. Yeah, yeah. well, we were going with mostly packs because okay. they're easy to find. But, you know, I looked around for whatever I could find. Uh, and in the older packs, which is not the style apparently he's currently doing, but in the older packs wines, I mean, he was picking those things at 25 plus right. bricks, 26 bricks. And you could really taste that the density and the chewy element there, and it was super ripe. And Francois, I could just see him shuddering every time we opened a bottle like that, and he's, I don't want to make this style of wine. And I said, well, good, because that's not really the style I want to make either. So very similarly with the white wine, we went with, um, we wanted, we were probably one of the first, if not the first, Syrah to come out of Alder Springs every year. Um, but he was really concerned about overextraction, so he kept talking about, "I don't want to have it too tannic. I'm really worrying about being too tannic." So he says to me, "I want you to go taste the Syrah twice a day." And I'm thinking, "I'm making five barrels of this. It's not really going to happen." But I'm listening to you, Francois. So keep going. I want you to taste this wine twice a day, and if it starts to taste too tannic, stop pumping over and go to bucket by bucket over the over the. Yes. <laughs> so I thought. Shoot, so we're familiar. going to bucket by bucket. Let's just do bucket by bucket. So this wine was never pumped over. It was bucket by bucket over the top. Wait, and who was doing that? The team up there at um, at Envy Winery. So you put in a protocol. You know, it's really funny. I did. I yeah. And I thought they were going to shoot me at first. Yeah. But if you think about it, it takes like 20 minutes to set up the pump and uh, hoses by cleaning them and making sure they're ready to go and then getting everything in place. But it takes like thirty seconds to clean a bucket. Okay, but you're you're gonna have to explain this bucket to bucket thing. I mean, I think I know what you're talking about, but for so what our they listeners. do is they put an elbow valve on the bottom of the tank and they drain about five gallons at a time out of the bottom, hand it to a guy on top who has a pitcher, and he dips the pitcher into that five gallon bucket and then sprinkles it over the cap. 
And so how many buckets? Yeah, how many times? They'll do that for, you know, whatever it takes for probably about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. And then they'll do that a couple of times a day. So and it's not like we didn't get any extraction. No, no, no. no. Color and and I guess that's what I'm one. trying to figure out. It's like how, you know, it was a if it was five barrels, 295 gallons, were they getting a hundred gallons a pump over or a pour over at a time? Were they getting a couple hundred gallons? Did you ever kind of think about that? Or did 20 minutes just five gallon right? Did 20 minutes just kind of seem like it was the right thing? Yeah, exactly. I I, I don't remember actually counting the number of buckets yeah. ever. It just, you know, you look inside, it looks good. And, then, I, and, and that's right, what I love to hear, to... Donald, because <laughs> there are people that are like, okay, we're going to do this for 23 minutes. The pump is, you know, 18 minutes, exactly. like 18 exactly. gallons a minute. And exactly. it's like, well, it is today, but it might not be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm I'm thinking you're not doing punch downs. You're not doing pump overs. It's, it takes 20 minutes to get the cap wet and wet. sink again basically is that what you're looking for or not really trying to sink it okay. just trying to make sure it it stays fresh stays wet so yeah and that you've covered you know and this is obviously all, all, all of the runners they the were partially over t- okay. i mean they had a very large manhole on the top yeah, so okay. you could easily get inside these are Really small fermenters, remember? Right. I mean, as we say, small barrels. people. Yeah, <laughs> these are really small people that are small, tiny, small people <laughs> with tiny little hands. The, no, but tiny little buckets and tiny little pitchers. <laughs> yes, we actually use gnomes. Uh, I, don't know you uh, do that. I don't know. That seems like you should put that on the label. Gnome made. <laughs> the yeah, well, that's a good so idea. Somebody kind of looks like a gnome today. Yeah. The, <laughs> And starting in, in 2018, we have a little bit more wine. So um, we did a, a, a modified process that was similar, but not exactly the same as what we did in 2017. I mean, the, what I think about this is, uh, um, you know, we're doing Delastage for the the right. the Colombie, right. you know, the, the Adutet uh, collaboration, which is um, you drain all of the juice out off of the skins. Yep. Uh, and kind of, and then you know, pour it back over. Um, this seems sort of like a less, but and the idea there is really it's about oxygen more than more than the physical maceration, the, the you know that you're doing with a punch down or a pump over. It's about getting maximum oxygen on the juice and on the skins. It seems like this is a a long sort of along those lines from a, a winemaking standpoint. You know, we never really talk about that. Francois and I have not talked specifically about we're trying to get extra oxygen in. It really was about trying to make sure that we didn't get hard tannin. I mean, it's incredibly gentle. Right. Is what it is. Yeah. And and the wine, instead of being pumped over through the skins, it's taking the path of least resistance and, you know, just finding its way through the pathways of the skins and the grapes. So, Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So then, chemical extraction, not physical. Extraction. Like I said, right, we, so. I think we started with six barrels. No, actually, a little bit more. I think it was about seven barrels. But anyway, <clears throat> one of them was brand new, and I was really loving the new barrel. And I finally sent a message off to Francois and said, "The new barrel is really singing. Can we get one more new barrel for this 2017?" And I waited 24 hours to hear something from him. And didn't, so I bought another barrel. So this had this is ended up with about what is it twenty percent? No, it's less than that. It, or it's Two more than that. Seven. It's about forty percent. Forty percent new barrels. Yeah. 
And it's got a beautiful shine on the wine. And people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this. Well, it doesn't matter. We think you're crazy anyway, Brian. I know. There's something to me, and I've experienced more with French wine, drinking wines from the Rhone, that there's a way the light hits the wine that has this certain shimmer to it. And I've... And I find that more. I forget the Tuesdays are the days that Brian microdoses. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a, but it's this, a cycle on this. Day sort this. of has, it has that shine. And there's something about the way the light plays with this wine. Those it's of you out there that drink a lot of wine that think, uh, and do a lot I'm on to something. Please leave your comments. Right. <laughs> if you think he's crazy, also leave your comments, yeah. please. Yeah, that would no, 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 need I, those. I, I think there's something. I think there's something about the look of wine that if you enjoy drinking wine, if you've shared wine for a long period of time with friends, the look of wine is one of the things that you really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so that's when, that's why I didn't bring the 2017 Sapage door because I couldn't get it as clean as I liked. It was a little hazier than I liked. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, white wines ought to be clean. They and ought to be. So it was unfiltered. Yes. And is this wine unfiltered? It is not unfiltered. Okay. We used a cross-flow filter on it, yeah. which is, um, I think, really gentle, and um, it, it, it makes it brighter. I just, like, it, I used to give people flack for the kind of clarity that, or non-clarity that I saw in the 2017 Terminum Sapage d'Or. So I just wasn't going to sub- subject myself to self-flagellation every time I had to open a bottle of it. Right. <clears throat> but what was the thinking behind not doing the filtration on the 2017? Well, I, I, I just wanted to deliver as much of what we had created in the barrel to the right. finished wine right. as possible. And it was biologically stable and finished yeah. ML and finished primary. See, um, because I know we've talked to winemakers and they do unfiltered white wines and they get them brilliant. But it's a, it's interesting what they have to do, you know, between egg whites and casein and a couple of it bentonite and um and that all strips something from the wine yep, positive and negative so it's a matter of what's the least impactful at some point yeah um, well i guess the least and then is have what you can sleep with, with sludge in it right and do nothing exactly right. but that's not acceptable you know i mean sludge isn't no cloudiness then you have to worry about like do people understand or do you have to explain it so. right only well, acceptable a, if there's a new yorker article 200 it, right? cases right. of it i wasn't too worried about it but it right. was just a personal thing right. really don't yeah. like it and um i we we bottled most of the chardonnays from pats and hall with no filtration so i was really oh, used okay. to it no funny no fining either um or we would do some it depended on the wine okay. so yeah. the smaller single vineyard lots a lot less the larger lots um, I was okay with, but James was nervous about it becoming an issue and yeah. I don't blame him. I mean, you know, as a winemaker, you don't want to be the one pointing to a, why did you screw it up kind of thing? So, right. uh, but generally speaking, yeah, we would do some finding, we would look for protein cause we had a wine that through a protein sediment, 2002 Alder Springs Chardonnay, as a matter of fact. And, uh, yeah, we took it into the lab and they and asked them what is what is this stuff and they the the official response was amorphous debris like it's right some shit that we don't know what it yeah is. like I guessed that as soon as I saw it it's what? like when you you know you have a disease then there's a, like fancy Latin name and the Latin name means just like 
your shit turned yellow. You know, it's like, thanks. Really helpful, guys. Yeah. I already saw that. Right. I can't spell it, but I know. Yeah. So anyway, yes. So filtration is one of those things that I think about a lot. I personally think about a lot. I, I really, I have, I believe that filtrations are really different today than what they were 1988 when we started Passing yeah. for example, or when, or even before that when I worked at other wineries. So I think that uh, the, the current state of the art delivers a better finished wine than it would have been although I still prefer to have them like raw out of the barrel personally. Will you tell us how, so you have a degree in biology and I think, I think it's an interesting story how you kind of being pre-med and talking to doctors was sort of the catalyst that sent you into the wine industry that you know these stories yeah i was a i was in a pre-med honor society actually at the university of oregon they had this um they farmed you out to doctors just to follow them around for a couple of weeks at a time you'd schedule the days with the doctor so that it was convenient for him as well it was all him then there weren't i didn't i never saw a woman doctor in this in this program i'm sure they were there but i didn't see one anyway point is so you you know first day you'd go there they'd you'd ask them a bunch of questions about med school second day you'd meet with them they'd say you know how you doing in school better get all a's because they're not going to let you into med school otherwise in the third day you kind of run out of those simple things to talk about so they'd say well what else are you interested in donald and i said well i kind of like wine you know kind of it's kind of an intriguing product to me I, i i really enjoy reading about it and thinking about it and every single one of them got this sort of glassy-eyed, dreamy look on their face. And yeah, someday maybe I'll, you know, like retire and be in the wine business. And it <laughs> occurred to me when I got a no thank you from um, all the med schools the second time that perhaps there was a more direct way into the wine industry <laughs> right. than going to med school. So it turned out okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of the guys that graduated with me and ended up in uh, medicine are less happy with with the life that they're leading right now than they imagined that they would be. I bet you you could have sold them a lot of Pat's and Hall in the day, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, you, you know, at Kenwood, they had um, a vineyard, a 100-acre vineyard that they were partners with, and it was all doctors and dentists. And they were all guys that wanted to be in the wine business. And it was at that time, it was like, sure, we'll buy in. And I think that was very common. Everybody wanted to be in the wine business one way or another, right? Was the was the Oregon wine industry, I mean, as established then, you know, was that a place when you're at, you know, you're at Eugene, um, do you see going from being a biology student at the University of Oregon to working in the wine industry in Oregon? Or was that you... you have to leave the state of Oregon at that time. So at that time, most of the wineries were really small right. and the owners weren't making any money and they certainly couldn't hire. I mean, I, I'm sure that they had a couple of cellar workers. I already had a kid. Yeah. So, you know, you can't so you really, had, you, you can't really go at minimum wage. Right. Right. So I looked at um, the idea of, you know, going into production versus going into marketing and sales. And it was really obvious to me that you can make a lot more money in marketing and sales than you could be, you know, dragging hoses around. Right. So cleaning shit. Cause that's what you do in the wine. Yeah. People say to me, Oh, I've always wanted to be in the wine business. I'd love to be a winemaker. I say, so is the first thing you think of every morning when you get up is cleaning the entire house. And then just before you go to bed, you want to clean it all again. Cause if you feel like that, you'd probably be a really good winemaker. Yeah. Right? 
Let's try the Gallet. Funny, it's is kind of my life. Well, and, and it's the only way that Bart <laughs> the, the and winery I cleaning or the house cleaning. <laughs> Both. Yeah, I was going to say it's the only the morning to clean the house. This is the only way that Bart and I get away with being in the wine industry. Our wives are both very driven, corporate, um, career-minded, career-oriented people. And because we're associated with wine, it's sort of cool. So we're kind of given a pass. You know, it's okay if, if she were to just introduce us as, this is my husband who makes very little money. Uh, no, who would want to say hi to us? But when she says, this is my husband, he's a psalm or he's a winemaker, it's like, ooh, all of a sudden you're, you're married to someone interesting. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Certainly more interesting than a municipal bond trader. <laughs> Although and, may not and, be making as much money as well, a municipal no, bond trader. As I trader. said, you know. The, here we sit. <laughs> here we sit. This, is, <laughs> this beautiful home that we have is not from my job. It is from my wife's job. But why the is, Municipal why Bond does, podcast is uh, not as fun as this one is. No, it is not. It's quite dry. <laughs> quite dry. <laughs> All right. Let's, will you guys pass that over to me? Nope. I am not. No. This is, you, you've had this before, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. So the uh, the 2017 Syrah tasting Rockstar. delicious. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, really beautiful wine. It's one of those wines that For reminds sure. you why you love Syrah. Right. And and reminds you that we all like wish that Syrah, Syrah would become that, yeah. would become popular again. Well, but. everybody likes them except consumers. This is kind of <laughs> interesting, isn't it? Growers like them. Those clusters, boy, you know, I know they're like five Pinot clusters on one little tiny <laughs> Syrah cluster. There wasn't a point where you said to Francois, "Oh, by the way, we're doing a partnership, but we're making Chardonnay." No. <laughs> No, but I was a little shocked when we started looking at Marsan Rousson because I kind of was expecting that we'd look at Viognier. But uh, mm. that's fine. It's turned out to be... I really like that Sapage d'Or. I really... I drink it yeah. at home quite a bit now. Yeah. So kind no, of surprising. I've, I spent a, many years of my life turning Chardonnay drinkers into Marsan and Rousson drinkers. That's um, too bad. I make a lot more Chardonnay than I do Marsan Rousson. Yeah, well... Quantum's more. So, yeah. so Donald, could you... Um, give us uh, the name of the website or how to, you know, find you online um, for all three projects. And then, uh, you know, certainly talk about the other projects also. Sure. So let's just start with the basic website. Um, I have one. I have a website, DonaldPatsWineGroup.com. DonaldPatsWineGroup. Which has the best E-A-T-Z. photo of Donald Pats <laughs> that I've ever seen. It looks like he is Tucker. And he had just <laughs> released his first car. I've, I always think of myself as the Reverend Donald in that okay. picture. <laughs> so now everybody's going to want to see that. Um, which Looking is great, right? <laughs> the, uh, that's, that's sort of the main one. Then all three come out of there. You can go to them individually, too, but all three on the one spot. So um, MaritanaVineyards.com, SecretDoorWine.com, and TerminumWines.com. Great. Thank you. If you can spell it or say it. It's the Germany. reflection on so, the glasses that really... Isn't yeah, it cool? That's a great photo. Yeah. <laughs> Black and white. Right? Yeah. Looking <laughs> skyward. So people often ask me, where did you come up with Terminum? And I've actually had a few people kind of go, a little, a little bit cheesy with the sort of marble-looking label. And I said, there are reasons for everything that I put on this label. So uh, it's a reference to the Rhone Valley, which was an extraordinarily important part of the Roman Empire. Uh, 
So um, a lot of Roman sort of references in there because of the history of the Rhone Valley. So marble was a common building stone in all over the Roman world, but it was not a common stone in the Rhone Valley. But if you walk around and look around, you'll see marble, pieces of marble almost everywhere. In fact, I was walking down like the most obscure little tiny hamlet in the northern Rhone Valley and just glanced over at the wall, which is this all native rock wall. And then there's a hunk of marble right in the middle of it. I thought, wow, somewhere along the line, that was some Roman thing that had gotten broken up over the years and probably used and reused and reused and ended up in this wall. So that's that. Then the picture of Bacchus, obviously, is Bacchus. But Terminum comes from the Roman god of borders and boundaries called Terminus. Terminum is sort of derived from that because somebody else is already using Terminus. So it means to me three projects... As the as as far as I go, Alder Springs in Mendocino County. I am not that driving is, any yeah, farther yeah. than that's the border. That, that of, is the terminus. Is the terminum? Yeah, there you go. It, well, well, go ahead and let's let's get the other names out there. Maritana, sure. Maritana, Maritana. I I thought I made up, um, and it turns out that um, it's, it hadn't been used in the wine industry, but it's in fact a woman's name, and there's uh, there's a number of them, but you only see them on Instagram. Because not, I haven't found a single person in the United woman in the United States that has the name Maritana, but it's, it's uh, kind of like a Brazilian kind of like Maritana Brazilian a, on Instagram. I'm pretty it, sure it turns out that it's there's more Russians than there are any others, and it's because there was the most amazingly awful pop song right at the end of the Soviet Union era called Maritana. And so I imagine this really, you don't listen to it. I promise that you'll, you'll, you'll wish you hadn't, but you're going to go do it now. They, they, they are. They're probably all gonna already go checking gonna, it out. That'll be the outro music for today's so, episode. If you find the right one, it's this, it's this really strange guy who looks a little bit like uh, Bill Murray as the lounge lizard on Saturday Night Live. Oh man, this is, <laughs> how are you going to tell better. me not to look at this? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Star Wars, those nutty <laughs> bar wars. <laughs> so obviously that's inspired some amorous evenings that then translated into girls being born and having to have the name of our song, baby. Right. So yeah, anyway. Um, it doesn't pop up easily on YouTube, I'm going to say no, that. No, it doesn't. Uh, it's there though, I promise. <laughs> Nothing good is easy, Sam. <laughs> you got to work for it. Right. The, uh, <laughs> but just because it's naughty doesn't mean it's going to be good. <laughs> You're right. And then Secret Door. Secret no, wait, wait. We didn't oh, wait. talk about Maritana. Secret Door Mar- is so oh, Maritana. Maritana, I really wanted to. I wanted to make some points that were different from what we had done at Patson Hall. And, you know, imagine when we started in 1988, we had one vision for, well, it was Chardonnay initially and then eventually Pinot Noir. But, you know, how different are you from 1988? I mean, wow. I'm quite different. And, and so my current taste for wine is quite different. I still like the Patson Hall. This is not to say anything bad about Patson Hall. But it was fun to be able to start over, wipe the slate clean and say, okay, now you're starting today. What do you want to do now? As opposed to what did you do in you know, 1988 and subsequently? So one of the things I really wanted to do was experiment with less impact on new barrels on the whites in particular. So I found a great source for one-year-old barrels and I'm using primarily one and two-year-old barrels on most of the Chardonnay, a little bit of new barrels, 10 to 20% depending on the wine, but mostly 
one and two year old barrels. Pinot, on the other hand, I really like new oak, so I'm using quite a bit more. Also, Chardonnay, I'm picking a little bit less ripe than we probably would have. I don't know what James is currently doing, but um, but I, I like picking at you know 23. Um, I'm probably backing down even from that for 29 for 2020. Uh, we'll see how that works out, but um, but I like the textures and stuff. And Russian River, I think, m- m- lends itself to that style really nicely. Pinot, uh, also shooting for a little bit less of that super ripe character. And um, I'm using a lot more whole cluster, which to me mm. helps bring out this really perfumey character in Pinot, which is my favorite part of Pinot, is that crazy aromatic character that you can get. So... That's what I'm shooting for. So whole cluster, whole barrier. Is there? Are you are you breaking those berries, foot stomping, or with pump overs? Whole or? cluster, whole berry. So, so it's got it gets a little bit of the uh, little CM note. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> a little. It's yeah. not really. I mean, we you know we're we're punching down, and at the beginning we do a lot of punching down. So it's not. It's not. I don't want to make Beaujolais. I mean, right. I don't have right. anything against Beaujolais, but that's not really what I'm shooting for. Yeah, and we st- we for some reason we still can't get to the Maritana name. What do you what, want to know about it? Where it came from? Oh, I thought I made it up. Um, I was really thinking about Sonoma, and here we it sort go. Of okay, basically, yeah. said Sonoma, 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 and I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down, and I circled two mountains and oceans. So oceans became maritime, mountains became Montana, Maritana. Yeah. All right. Because that's, that's actually a good one. Yeah. 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 Those people that have tried to start a brand in the wine industry, um, especially one sitting at the table whose brand is sixteen six hundred. Hard to say. Hard no, to it's, remember. It's, it's <laughs> the key. It's that's quite an key. it's quite an adventure trying to to find a name these days. Um, it's amazing. If you, and I would actually encourage your listeners as a joke to just say, write five names down that you would like to do as a wine. Yeah. And I dare you to find one that hasn't already been used. Yeah. All right. It, that's the it, new challenge. If you find one, send it to us because I'm sure that we need it somewhere. <laughs> it's going to be super useful. Crowdsourcing our, yes, our names here. Our names, we yes. will give you three bottles of the wine after it's produced. Yes. <laughs> Good deal. Take it. <laughs> Which you can help finance. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then Secret Door. So Secret Door, we know, is a, you know, because your wife is a, a fan of Bordeaux, and so you're doing Cabernet. I mean, really, who doesn't like Cabernet Sauvignon? I mean, it, when it's well-made, everybody likes yeah. it. It's just, the st- there's been a funny style in Napa, I think, that has been the, the current rage, and it's not the style that I personally wanted to drink. I wanted to drink something more like what I remembered being interested in Cabernet when I first got interested in in, in Cabernet and well, all California wines really was, you know, the late seventies. And so that's kind of where I actually know people who made wine back then. So I asked a bunch of questions about that, but you can't re- reproduce it. The vineyards are different. Everything about it is different. But the it's farming, more, the spacing, the clones, exactly the climate is clearly there is some changes there too. But, um, but you know what the big, the, the vintages that people really loved, Back in the day, everyone talked about, oh, it's a super hot summer. It was a super hot year. That's why this year is so great. 68 and 69, for example. Fantastically hot, they said. Now, I'm not sure compared to what... I didn't live here then, so I don't really know. But that's what they talked about a lot. Anyway, so I really wanted to do Stag's Leap. 
because I love that area. I think it's elegant. Uh, it's got this great combination of intensity, but also um, subtlety and finesse. And of course, as soon as I said that to my friends, they all started laughing like, you crazy? All the guys in Stegs Leap suck up every grape they can find. They can't get enough. And uh, it just turned out that I sort of stumbled across this vineyard that's right next door to Stegs Leap Wine Cellars um, on the same side of the street. And, uh, and it's beautifully farmed, 20-year-old um, Cabernet Sauvignon vines that are, that are really cool. So I got that, and I thought it was set for my wife, right? I only have to make one. Right. I didn't have to make more than one because, you know. And I, she's going to drink all of it. You don't even have to sell it, right? right. And it wasn't even, it was only Florida where she was living, right? No, no Virginia. 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 Virginia, sorry. No, she's moved to California and, and likes Pinot now, too. But and the, at that moment, that, <laughs> that promise was made. And so another friend of mine said, oh, you should go check out this other vineyard, this one called Sage Ridge Vineyard, which is Judy Jordan's property now. Mm -hmm. And... I said, I don't even need more. And now I find out that for me, going to see a new vineyard is kind of like seeing golden retriever puppies. Yeah. Right. I dare you not to bring one home. <laughs> so you go to see a new vineyard, you're like, sure, I'll buy some grapes. I went to see this vineyard, Sage Ridge, and uh, I signed up for this really small little one acre parcel because it's Sage Ridge on top of this mountain. It's gorgeous. So I have two different Cabernets under, under um, Secret Door. Secret Door came out because I actually took a picture of a secret door. That very first, the 2014 label with the red door on it, yeah. if you see it, is the door between the Amman Hotel and the Summer Palace in Beijing. Huh. And they have their own entryway <laughs> that they refer to as a secret door into and out. So they walk you to the back of their property, they let you into the, instead of standing in a half mile long line with all the Chinese people, um, you get to walk in and out whenever you want to. And it was pretty mm -hmm. cool. And I took that picture and just thought, that's really cool. And like we all did, if you had a picture like, you know, 15 years ago, it ended up popping up on your screensaver all the time. And it <laughs> up pops this screensaver thing like 4,000 times over there. Every time I saw it, I go, secret door. So when I was trying to come up with a name, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was secret door. Wow, and nobody had used that. That's, that's awesome. kind of, right. That's, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I was surprised too. I figured somebody <laughs> had to come up with some other way of saying it. So now are you do. on the search for secret doors? You know, we changed the label with every wine, every vintage. So I need two secret door pictures doors. per year. Um, I have 2018 in the, in the can 2019 I'm looking for, but I, I've so far I've used doors from outside the United States. So 2019, I want to use U.S. doors. So if you've got a cool picture, seems like going back to New Orleans would be a good place to find some. You know, secret, it might yeah, be good actually. Secret doors. It's a good yeah. point. There's somebody took some pictures of doors down in Palm Springs. Apparently, mm. there's a couple neighborhoods down there with exotic doors. I huh. don't know. Anyway, all those so old you, like garden gates and walls, and there's a citrus grove behind it with the best Meyer lemons on the planet that they just let fall to the ground. Has, <laughs> I think yeah, I know that spot. No, right. <laughs> Nobody has time to pick them up. They're yeah, exactly. too busy golfing, golfing and playing and, tennis. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you drive down, especially this time of year in Palm Springs. You'll drive through and there's just like these amazing citrus trees that are the decorations to the entrance to some housing development and they, they never get picked. 
there's a there's a great story if you ever watch, I think it was on thirty for thirty on ESPN and Magic Johnson when he when he got drafted by the Lakers and and he came to L.A. and he was <clears throat> picked up at the airport in a limo and they're they're driving him to the to the forum or wherever the the Lakers were playing at the time and they're passing by these homes that have oranges growing in the front yard and and he made them stop and he ran out of the limo and went and picked some of the oranges because he couldn't believe like. People really have like oranges growing in their front yard. Not a lot of front and how come they're not Michigan eating plant. those? Yeah. <laughs> right. Magic Johnson gleaning, gleaning in downtown LA. Right. Inglewood, if he's on the way to the forum, right? Yeah. There's a, Careful. There's an, there's an oil derrick on one side of the street, and then there's a <laughs> orange tree on the other. All right, let's Don't talk panic. about uh, pricing. I think with Secret Door, you're talking retailing at 175 something like that for it's, the yeah, cabs? Yeah, it depends on where you buy it, of course. Um, I sell it for 170 Okay. It's super expensive grapes. It's yeah. you know, A++ program across the board. Um, 100% new barrels, things like that. Yeah. And for the Terminum wines? So $40 for the... Um, God, I door. love Rhone varietals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's 65 for the Syrah. And I think okay. it's a that we're actually tasting right now the Francois Villard. It's like the same price, basically. 75. Right? 75. Okay. Yeah. Wait, are you selling this? No, I've just wanted it as a comparison. I think oh. it's kind of fun. <laughs> To uh, to include it as a, yeah. an opportunity to, and I, as a contrast because same vintage, the you know, same guy basically telling everybody what to do. Right, right. I like to tell people I'm kind of like the chef from Ratatouille. You know, I hear this voice and I don't know what I'm doing with Syrah, so I just listen to the voice and do what he says. But the truth, <laughs> you the guys truth are doing is, he thinks good. he's running it all, but I get to filter everything, so <laughs> I get to. Yeah, he said to do this. You're the this, one filling the buckets. That's right. right. He said to do this, but let, we're not doing that. We're going to do this instead. But I, I think Francois is very happy with it. There's actually an article that came out recently about us, and um, and there's some really interesting quotes that I had. He doesn't speak a lot of English. Right. So right. he answered a bunch of questions in French, and I'm reading through this translation. I'm just going, well, that's really cool. I guess he likes me better than I thought. Right. <laughs> well, that's what he meant for me yeah. to do with this wine. <laughs> And for the Maritana wines, we're so they, talking about $100 for the Chardonnay around something like that. Oh, I um, wish. That would be awesome. Um, no, it's uh, about $50 for the oh, wow. La Riviere, which is the blend. Um, but by the way, I gave both the Chardonnay and Pinot AVA wines French names because it turns out that if you have a French partner in one part of your business, you can use French names anywhere you want. What? It's in the Geneva Convention. Right. And <laughs> these wines aren't going to double in price in a month, and they'll still have French names. So if you want to buy wine that seems French. Yeah. I mean, oh, the wow. weirdest thing you said there is that it's in the Geneva Convention. <laughs> it's a reference to uh, the uh, Ricky Bobby movie, right? right. He's, right. right. Oh. If I... If I say with all due respect, I can say anything I want to afterwards. Anyway, okay, good. I mean, you know, that's, that's exactly where I expected this, uh, you know, titan of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay to go with this is Ricky Bobby references. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> I have a wide shake and ranging, bake, shake and bake, shake and bake. <laughs> I have a wide ranging cultural experience. <laughs> 
Welcome to the Winemakers Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you never thought you'd talk about that. No, that's fun. <laughs> that's all fun stuff, you know. But from the uh, Aspen Food and Wine to no, Ricky no, Bobby. So just to kind of finish out that thought, I'm sorry, but no, um, so there's this a multi multi vineyard blend called La Riviere Chardonnay. That's Maritana, and then the multi vineyard Pinot blend is called La Russe. So basically, in French, I called them Russian and River. Mm. Oh. Because it's all Russian River. Really yeah. clever, Donald. Yeah, that is. And I've got some single vineyard wines, too. I've got a couple of uh, two different parts from Dutton Ranch that are quite different, um, including uh, 50-year-old Chardonnay vines. So that's... Oh, Wenty sh- clone the, stuff? Who knows? I mean, huh. really, I asked Warren Dutton, who planted this vineyard, what did you plant there? And he said, basically... Chardonnay? No, yeah, exactly. Nobody talked about clones. And if you had... If somebody said, hey, I got Chardonnay vines, you ran over there and picked them up wherever they were and put huh. them in your ground. I mean, it's only it's a much more recent development. Anyway, so some something was planted, clearly Chardonnay. Uh, I mean, at this point, you could call it the Dutton clone, right? I mean, if there's no... You could probably you know, I'm not there. sure they have, have, have used it anywhere else. No. I mean, it's, it's the only remaining piece of the original Dutton Ranch now. Hmm. Interesting. The only wow. remaining piece. Wow. And somehow or not, they sold it to me. Well, they're crazy. they must really like Russian pop music. That's clearly <laughs> what it is, that they had that whole Who thing. Who doesn't, Sam? Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is Hanson Hill, which is not far away, but really different, totally different soils. And it's that is all old Wente clone. Um, uh, and I've okay. got some, in 2018, I've got some single vineyard Pinots coming out too. So that's pretty exciting. Cool. And what are you drinking if you have the opportunity? Let's say you go to a nice restaurant, they hand you the wine list. What are you looking for yeah. first? Um, I'm a, I've made in my entire career has been about California wines. And so I'm kind of a Homer. I, I like drinking California wines. Sometimes I'll drink something else, but it's almost always California. And I, I really, I'm curious about trying all kinds of stuff. So there's no like one thing that I, it's not like I, I really have to drink Chardonnay or Pinot Noir from Russian river because you know, that's the only thing I like. Uh, so I'm all over. I like actually when I first got interested in wine, I drank a lot of Zinfandel. So every once in a while, I'll gravita- gravitate towards that. Or a Syrah from California is always fun. Right. Obviously, um, depends on what I feel like that night. Yeah. And I always choose the wine regardless of what the food is. I, I I'm a believer that drink what yes, you want. Yes, that that there probably are magical combinations of food and wine, but I don't really care. <laughs> I'd rather just drink what I want to drink. Yeah, here, here. I run into the lot out where pe- people just want to talk to me. They don't necessarily want to order a bottle. They want to talk to me. They say, "Oh, table, whatever wants to talk to you." They say, oh, "We're having the we're having the cod. What should we drink?" I say, "Well, what do you normally drink?" Right. Oh, well, I normally drink Pinot. Well, let's find a good Pinot. If you have a good glass of wine and and a nice plate, then that's a good pairing. It doesn't have to be the perfect things. Sometimes you tell them, "Oh, the best thing of that is going to be a Sauvignon Blanc. It's going to be this Russian River Sauvignon Blanc." They're like. Oh, they give you the look. Well, uh, well they want to drink white yeah, wine, right? Right. Yeah. right. Well, you asked me what the perfect pairing, and that's the perfect pairing. But you want, the, you want, you want the best pairing for you is yeah. is good wine and good food. Yeah, yeah. And it gets even better if you're, you know, we used to say that your wine could only be as good as your date. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you have fun people that you're with, there's a lot then, of people who have drank terrible wine with the guys at this table. Then, <laughs> be I, I don't know about y'all, but I've had good wine recently. All right, Sam, what did you just put in our glass? So since since we had Titan of 
Pinot Noir in the house today. Dr. Uh, Pino. Dr. Pino. Dr. Pino. On, so is that, on, on Instagram. Is that because right? there's like a DR, there's like your middle name R, is that DR Pats, DR Pino, or are you the doctor of Pino? Yeah. Because That's you like, were you, you're, you're very close. So, okay. So wow. what do you do when you're like looking at, I didn't even really think about coming up with a nickname before I started signing up on Instagram. And you go through this process of signing up, right? Including coming up with your name. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I, I don't know. So I thought, well, I'll start with my initials, DRP, and with you know my background, it was almost an automatic, like my fingers just did it all by themselves, I-N-O-T. And I thought, oh, there it is, my initials in Pino. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and I hadn't even really thought about what it was really saying. Dr. Pino. Until later, and somebody started calling me Dr. Pino, and I thought, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> what a great idea. I mean, of course, that's who that's I am. That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> Only thing that would make that picture better was right. you wearing a surgical mask. <laughs> right. Or a stethoscope, stethoscope around, around his right. neck. Yeah. <laughs> Next Halloween, look for it. <laughs> so any, anyway, I make uh, wine and surgical scrubs. <laughs> this is uh, Pinot Noir made by a, a doctor of Cabernet. Uh, this is Jeff Baker's Pinot uh, from a, a project that sort of short-lived called Vulture Winery. Um, his private, you know, it was going to be a, a charitable wine. Um, and these are the grapes from the very top of Sonoma Mountain. Um, Vineyard and the winery is now known as Sophie and James, uh, labeled as Pangea Vineyard, um, but it sort of evolved, starting at Stone Edge Winery, made by Jeff Baker, the first couple of vintages of of uh, Sophie and James, as it sort of evolved into what it's become. And actually, actually the internet, they, the, or the Instagram, Instagram sensation, sensation that, it that, that it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they should have stayed with Pangea, right? Well, you know, it doesn't doesn't quite work with the same fluffy pillows um but yeah this is 2014 um it's funny they call it sonoma valley i don't think it it necessarily would land in a uh, an ava map but and you get there from rona the you know the rona park side of the mountain um, well it's not which sonoma what we know is that it's not which way the water falls it's just where the line is drawn right, right yeah, exactly so and was this in your cellar, or is this something? Yeah, that I, I think I um, traded a case of something for a case of this. Okay. Uh, because uh, my wife liked it. Oh, you of know. course. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that she's... I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No. Keep, I, keep, I, your, I, keep your wife happy. If you're in the wine business... Uh, whether your wife is supporting <laughs> supporting it or not financially, uh, you, you know, you have to keep your wife happy to, or other, you know, if your spouse in general, if you're, keep your husband happy too, if right. you're making wine. You know? There are certain wines I know that I can buy for my wife and I, I know they're going to be fine for her. She'll really like them. And then there's ones where I'll go, oh, this is going to be it for her. And she'll say, what is it? I said, no, taste it first. And it's, and it's this, what is this? This is horrible. And I'm like, it's, it's that, no, it's actually not. It's actually a really nice wine. You're supposed to like it, but it's amazing. So you need, that's where you need a Brian Casey in your life. It's not the perfect pairing. It's the best wine for you. Then I just reach for a bottle of Vino Verde and she's good. (laughs) For $6 at bottle. You know, that's a perfect (laughs) wine. If you're waking up early and working the municipal bond market, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not drinking big Cabernets at 10 o'clock at night. If you're going to be in the city at 6am, 5, 5, 87, a bottle, Brian. 
587. Thank you. So with tax, six dollars. Um, this the vulture's nice. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. It it actually is has more acid than I remember. Um, I remember tasting this out of barrel and it was like you know pure cherry coke. Um, but it's you know it's a it's an interesting vineyard site. Literally, the very top of of Sonoma Mountain. So. Um, so why isn't that Sonoma Mountain then? Right, that's what right. I was why, wondering. I, it's I, it, so Valley. when you look at a AVA map, the Sonoma Mountain AVA does not go all the way to the top of of the mountain, and you know why? whatever. Of course, why would it? Yeah, this is the '80s in Sonoma. They weren't. They were. Nobody was. I don't want attention. to walk that high up yeah, the mountain. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is far enough. We made it to the top. There's it's just redwood trees. I mean, there. there's no there's there's nowhere that water flows into Sonoma Valley Creek from Benna Valley. It all goes out to either the Estero, and, you know, but yet it's in Benna Valley's within Sonoma Valley. Makes no sense. Right. So, but It should be really at the very top where you crest, was that like Turkey Run or yeah. whatever. Right. That's where it should end. That's where it should end. Yeah. But so. they didn't put us in charge. Part. Right. That's probably exactly for right. good reason. Political thing. And really was, political. That was true in, in France too with all of their little. <laughs> right. All of their little AOCs were all politically driven. People got left out or got included based on their reputation, but also their political pull. Well, where there's wine, there's politics, as we are seeing today in you know in, in Washington D.C. Wine becomes a, a hot button political issue, becomes a piece of these you know these political machinations, and you know all of the the international trade deals that. Made it so we, could, you know, stop saying California champagne and can't put Rhone style Rhone blend on our our labels. There's there's politics in wine, from every from the very you know from the ground, from the ground on up to the hall hallowed, hallowed halls of Washington D.C. Yeah, need a French partner, right? Yeah, <laughs> I was at um, Spinster Sisters okay. in Santa Rosa like restaurant. And um, they were telling me the story of the the neighborhood because they also own the hotel that's around the corner as well. And they said, you know, originally 101 was supposed to be much further west of where it is. But that was a Bill Cotting. Hugh Cotting. Hugh Cotting wanted the freeway to run by the mall. And so that's why it runs right over Spencer Sisters in that neighborhood. Right where uh, Miracle Plum and all of that. Neighborhoods when, you know, when you have a freeway running over, you aren't typically the most desirable desirable (laughs) neighborhoods. And and that's sort of how it happened is money, money talks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Changed the face of Santa Rosa. Yeah. And and that whole western part of, I mean, think of the freeway, if 101 freeway hit closer to Sebastopol, how different Sebastopol would be. Right. Well, and then also remember that, you know, Highway 12 was supposed to be a four lane highway coming right through Sonoma Valley. Right. And there was a drawing at one point where Kenwood Winery is of a um, cloverleaf um, on off ramp there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that would have been made it a lot different. Been a lot of grape trucks that would have would have gone <laughs> overboard on a cloverleaf <laughs> at the heart of Kenwood, right? You know, Warm Springs Road is yeah. an exit off of a four lane highway, and it'd have been good for the Rossies, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam. You want to try that last wine? Pour a little. Cabernet for the heck of it. Now this is from... This is Simon's Vineyard, 2015. Um, 2015 was 
the tough year that it was, uh, especially in Cabernet right. and the Madden District. Um, we only made 50 cases of this. Jesus. But, so I can say with quite 100% certainty that it's 50% new oak because there was one new barrel and there was right. one barrel that wasn't a new barrel. <laughs> Easy math. Easy math. I can do that. And the Simon's Vineyard is... Um, so if you're looking from your dad's house across it, Robert Kamen's house is sort of the vineyard that's in between. Yeah, down in that down in that valley there. Truly at the end of the road. Truly at the end of the road. You know, it's uh, bottom of the hill, but but top of the hill at the same time. It's kind of a cool place. Um, There'll be frequent mornings where my parents' house is in the sun, Cayman's is in the sun, but the fog has actually come up Agua Caliente Canyon and settled onto the Simon's Vineyard. Um, Then you're looking, you know, you look across a sea of fog to Caymans. Mm. So it's definitely, you know, it's a, it's a cool spot. The pond down there in the creeks will freeze hard in the wintertime, you know, like wow. last week or so. Um, cause it just doesn't get as much sun, especially up against the, you know, sort of the Southern edge of the bowl that's back there. Um, so you get to play with, uh, a site that's both, you know, sort of mountain in, in profile, but also has this, these cool climate influences too. Yeah. Um, and then a little microclimate there. No, I like the cabin. I like their Marsan that you guys are doing too. Yeah, it's a cool spot, you know. It it where you know you don't wouldn't expect Marsan or Cabernet really of these kind of profiles. You know, you look Cayman, half a mile away, such a riper place. Way more sun, way warmer. Um, you know, this is the same soil, but but a cooler place. Yeah, cool. All right, who wants to? Uh who wants to get a little shout outs? Um, so to go back to what I start, where I started this, I do want to give a big shout out to all those wine professionals and there's those lists, lists floating around who stepped it up and went to right. Congress today and talked about how bad this would be for all of us. So big shout out to, to all those you know, wine industry professionals, more professional than we are, clearly. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, this is all happening when everything else in the world is going on right now, and um, right. it's either going to get ignored because no one cares about it because everything else is bigger, or it's just going to get rubber stamped because, because nobody's looking at right. it. So, um, who knows? I guess we'll all find out on the thirteenth or something. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I want to say, you know, if you guys want to check out, uh, if you're if you are coming to Sonoma. And want to do a tour. I got a buddy that's doing tours. Some guided wine tours. Winezulu.com. Z-O-O-L-O-O. Z-O-O-L-O-O. Winezulu.com. We always like to say hi to Todd Jolly. It's Sonoma's best. Um, and this is a great time to come. I don't know if you've seen people's Instagrams, but anybody in Sonoma, it's like, you know, we have little bits of rain coming through, but the sun is shining bright. We're at, you know, hovering in the 50s and 60s. We're pruning grapevines. Cover crops are green and growing. Um, this is a good time of year to be here. It's great. Crowds My daughter's on a swim team in Santa Rosa, the Neptunes. I'm, it's been, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. It's been 61, 62 degrees, something like that. I mean, yeah. it's blue skies and, and beautiful. Play golf in the morning, taste wine in the afternoon, and go to bottle and butcher for dinner. We didn't talk about that. Where can people come taste your wine? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, thank you for asking that. Yeah. Uh, we. Oh, hey, Donald Pets is here. I forgot. Yeah, I am. <laughs> We we have access to tasting space at Grand Cru in Windsor, and it has to be 
uh, it has to be by appointment. So just showing up there isn't going to get get it done. So you need to contact us, um, and you can do that through the websites. So a good place to start is the DonaldPatsWineGroup.com site. That'll take you wherever you want to go. But um, you can also email us. Uh, info at DonaldPatsWineGroup.com will get you uh, some attention, and we'd love to see the people. In fact, I've got a, a monthly um, VIP tasting that I'm going to do um, that'll include whatever I feel like bringing along that day, and possibly some old Patson Hall wines could show up there. Or um, all wait, how do wait, wait? How do people get on this list? <laughs> <laughs> DonaldPatsWineGroup.com, <laughs> and you just say, "Hey, I want to get in on that VIP shit that yeah. you got rolling." Yeah. <laughs> Brian's okay. exactly right. On some old Chardonnay. It'll be on that uh, list. Mo- it'll be around, it's either the first or second Saturday of each month. And, and you know, a little it'll shout be on out. Website too. And yeah. you're going to be doing that. I personally will do those. Yes. And and a little shout out to the Grand Crew Custom Crush Place. Um, we know a number of, of past <laughs> listeners or a couple past listeners make their wine up there. The San Giacomo's make their wine up there, as does um, Smith's Story. Um, and it's it's a unique custom crush place because wineries like yourself can have a tasting space. Um, it's not something you have to uh, have to keep manned every day. It is by appointment, which is convenient um, and a little bit of a pain, I guess. But no, it's uh, great for the customer. I really but. I really like the idea of being able to do it by appointment. And you know, it's it's trickier for consumers because they have to make a special effort rather than just right. pop in whenever it feel like it. But um, but it allows us to be super efficient and it is a beautiful space. Yeah. It's a very comfortable place to taste wines. Um, and they just do a fantastic job. Grand Cru has just been really a wonderful place to make wine. Awesome. Hmm. Um, what did you, just, just something that was on my mind. Did you source fruit from anyone after you left Patson Hall that you were sourcing fruit from at Patson Hall. So the very first year, 2017, I told everybody I talked to, if you, I don't want to buy grapes from the vineyards that are currently going to Patson Hall because the, I really don't want it to look like I walked out the front door with all the best stuff in my back pocket. Right. That was not the point. But after how do you 20- walk away from Larry Hyde? Well, he's not in Russian River. Yeah. For Chardonnay and Pinot, for example, and yeah. oh, Gary Pizzoni. Right. You know, every time I see Gary and I love him, he says, I could get some grapes for you. And I said, I know you could, but you're not in Russian River, yeah. unfortunately. And I did that on purpose, not because I didn't want to buy grapes from those people, but I really wanted it to be focused rather than just sort of like running all over the countryside looking for grapes. I wanted it to be from a particular place. And, well, and who's got time to go all over the state, right? I mean, I'm, a, I'm a onesie, right. you know, and so all enough. by my onesie, I can't really go everywhere and yeah. be everywhere yeah. and also talk about the business side of it and also sell it and yeah. all the other stuff that I have to do. So yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting. It's cool. been really interesting. But in 2018, interestingly enough, um, my buddy Charlie Chenoweth called me up and said, somebody's giving up a little slice of Jenkins ranch mm. Pinot, which is one that Patson Hall has made for, I don't know, 15 years or so. Are you interested? And I said, well, a whole year has gone by. I'm free to do what I want now. <laughs> so, yes. So it's a different part of the vineyard, a different clone. But boy, oh, boy, is it good. Cool. Cool. Charlie's a good farmer. He's a very good farmer. Yeah. And the property's beautiful out there. It is. 
Yeah. Well, anyone like myself that's um, in charge of a wine list that wants to get a hold of some of your wines too, do they go directly through you or do they go through a rep? So ideally, contact me directly first. Okay. And um, and I'd be happy then to direct them to whoever uh, would be the proper one. I'm assuming that there'll be people outside of California here. Right. And obviously, I can't sell direct to people outside of California, but we have broker a broker in California, um, Vintage Wine Marketing. And that's who I would probably turn them to. But I'm, I love being in touch with people, so it's not a problem. Contact me directly. It would be fun. So cool. are these brands, and I, I guess we should have talked, are they mostly going into wholesale or are you mostly doing direct-to-consumer with? So I'm making enough of the of both the Secret Door and the um, Maritana so that it is a three-tier. Those are both three-tier. In, in other words, distribution and wholesalers outside of California. Right. Um, it's not huge, but... You know, it's enough so that I need to do that. Terminum also is available, but in very small amounts. So a couple hundred cases of the of the um, 2017 Sapage Door, a little bit more like 20, 250 cases of the 2018, and like less than 200 cases of 2017 Syrah. And Sam, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you had arrived yet, but we are going to see Donald uh, and Francois down at. Uh, you will not be there. I don't think Sorry, I'm be there. I'm going to be in. Oklahoma. Oklahoma for some reason. Um okay, well I will yeah, the, I will look the, the forward to seeing this. Springtime schedule for me is about to be pretty <clears throat> fucked. Okay. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> well, I will look forward to seeing you down in Paso Robles at the Hospice Cerrone event. Shout out to Vicky Carroll. The and you are going to be pouring I think at Francois. I'm going to make Francois pour. Going to make he Francois did, pour actually, some of that. Okay. The last big tasting at Grand Cru, he was in town and I made him stand behind the table and pour Terminum. It was hilarious. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be down there podcasting, uh, not only as the winemakers, I'll be down there with Sonder doing a little bit of the bike goes on stuff and then I think doing a little part time somming, probably opening up the bottles um, for some of the seminars, which I think Hawk Waka Waka, Elaine Chuck and Brown is doing something on the rocks. Really? Yep. She's going to do uh, a little lecture series on the on the rocks, uh, Walla Walla. And then w- what was she doing at your place the other day, picking up Autotet Rosé? She was Rose. picking up, uh, and actually we should have, didn't even kind of go this direction with this conversation. Um, she was, she has a seminar she's doing with a bunch of wine professionals from Canada, from the Toronto area. And there's a couple different tastings. One is going to be sort of more focused on classics. Um, I think she's pouring some chorus in and things like that. Right. Um, and then another one, which was going to be more focused on collaborations. Um, so she's picked up a couple of bottles of the Adutet Rosé um, and was going to, you know, presumably other, these you know, things that keep kind of happening in a really interesting way where French winemakers are collaborating with California winemakers to, you know, see what happens it's you know it's very experimental it's it's um it's it's a pretty fun thing that seems to be happening more and more often right now these these sort of trans adventures in transcontinental winemaking which uh, yeah. it's know. a great it's yeah. a great way to cross pollinate too yeah. see you know it one of the things that came out of it for me with terminum is uh, francois's insistence that we did not add any yeasts um, and I looked at those wines very carefully, and I did a little of experiment with Maritana um, in 2017, and flipped to entirely non-inoculated cool. fermentations in 2018-2019 with Maritana and with Secret Door. Right. It just it's making it it's making a different wine, and it's 
I'm not sure that it's always better, but it's kind of interesting, and it's I like that part of it. I, yeah. I like the experimental part of it. Anyway, yeah, no, I think that's the the point of all of these things is there's so much that we can learn from you know what the winemakers in, in France have been doing, and you know they have you know hundreds of years more experience you know as a culture doing it than we do, and then vice versa because you know in California we we haven't been as um, you know directed by that length of, of tradition and sort of wine culture that um, you know it's a much more experimental sort of freewheeling kind of world and those you know the lessons that we've picked up from that going back across uh, the Atlantic is it's only good for those wines assuming that you can still buy them after the end of the month <laughs> right <laughs> Fuck. yeah uh, so be you still problem. buy them they just be twice as much <laughs> gonna actually get a lot easier to buy them it's just not going to be very inexpensive to buy them. Yeah, let's get some burgundy. Yeah, good time to stock up right now. <laughs> All right, well, this has been The Winemaker. Donald, thank you so much for joining thank us Thank you, today. Donald. We really appreciate it. No, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. And got an you, appointment with Dr. Pino. That's right, Dr. <laughs> Pino in the house. You can check out some of the past episodes. Go to the radiomisfits.com slash the winemaker. Subscribe, review. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. And, um, Buy happy more wine. Drink more wine. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. It's been the Winemakers. We'll talk to you next week. This is 2020. 2020. <laughs>